This is the organic stream. Welcome. If you look at the history of civilization, there is a direct relationship between the decline of soil quality and the decline of those civilizations. All these things came from the earth. They need to go back to the earth. We're not just keeping this stuff out of the landfill and making it broader. And that's the attitude you have to take. Every single day, somebody knocks on your door and says, Can I have your way to do Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Organic Stream podcast. I'm your host, Aline Murphy. And this week, we're in San Jose, talking to Deputy Director of the Environmental Services Department at the City of San Jose, California, Joe Zientek. And with Joe, we'll be taking a retrospective look at the city's achievement with their high solids, dry anaerobic digestion and composting facility, the largest of its kind in North America. The facility's history dates back to 2007, when the city's Green Vision initiative promoted the search for a solution for treating commercial waste in the city. After a long planning process, the facility finally opened late last year and has the capacity to process 90,000 tonnes a year of commercial organic waste from the city and create 32,000 tonnes of compost. The project has been described as a milestone for the city on its journey towards greater sustainability and we speak today with Joe in order to share and learn from their experiences, their challenges and their successes in the development and operation of the facility. So we've got a really great episode ahead. And before we start, I'd like to thank the Zero Waste Energy Development Company and Republic Services for making this week's episode possible. In December 2013, Zero Waste Energy Development Company LLC, or ZWEDC, opened its first large-scale commercial dry fermentation anaerobic digestion facility in the United States. With the goal of taking organics recovery to the next level, ZWEDC desired not only to compost organics, but also to extract its energy value. For more information on ZWEDC, go to www.zwedc.com. And Republic Services provides innovative wet-dry collection services to all businesses in the city of San Jose. The wet-dry system has nearly tripled the business recycling rate from 25 to over 70% since July 2012. All businesses receive wet collection services, which includes organics collection such as food waste and food contaminated paper products. Dry wastes includes recyclables and everything else. The materials are processed at the Newbie Island Resource Recovery Park's Recyclery. For more information, visit www.republicservices.com. And now, let's get on to the interview. So, Joe, um, to start us off, maybe you can set the scene a little and tell us how the project started. Um, Tell me some more about the facility as well in San Jose and how it's operating at the moment. Yeah, the city, uh, which we just commissioned in November of 2013, takes the organic waste from our businesses in San Jose. And San Jose is a pretty big city. We're the the third largest in California and the 10th largest in the United States. Um, And we have about 8,000 businesses in San Jose. So um, in 2012, we implemented a a brand new uh, business recycling program. 
uh, and all our businesses are required to participate. Prior to that, businesses could select their own hauler uh, and their own recycling service, but we weren't getting a lot of good recycling out of our business community. So uh, we went to a new system that all businesses are required to participate in, but that new system and those new requirements allowed us to have sufficient feedstock to open two big high-tech uh, waste processing facilities uh, to process the waste. And one is this zero-waste dry anaerobic digestion facility. So it takes organic waste. Some is direct hauled from businesses and others is first processed by uh, another recycling facility and then the organic waste comes out of it. The facility, which is phase one, can accept about 90,000 tons a year. It is permitted to uh, add two more 90,000 ton phases for obviously a total of 270,000 tons a year. And um, we're working with the owner of the facility on ways that we can help jumpstart that expansion now. Uh, so the facility has 16 digester tunnels now, and each is capable of generating about 1.6 megawatts of energy. Uh, the facility is, is interesting because, I mean, there's a lot of anaerobic digestion facilities in the world. Um, almost all are wet systems. And this facility is unique because it's dry. So there isn't, we don't need water in, that much water in, and we don't need to deal with pumping the water out to make a more uh, usable end product, which makes this facility somewhat unique. And it's fully enclosed. So that allows it to be next to highly populated urban areas because obviously there are odors associated with anaerobic digestion. Uh, also in vessel composting tunnels, so after the organic waste is uh, inoculated with the digestate and goes through the 21-day process, then the material is moved to composting tunnels to continue curing, and that's also inside. Um, so this initial 90,000-ton phase is commercial waste, but we are looking at uh, potentially moving residential organics to that facility, uh, a lot of which we're not collecting now. And then also other cities, jurisdictions in Silicon Valley uh, could also bring their material here. Very good. So you can see it expanding in the future with more organics being treated. And then for our audience who'd like to learn a little bit more maybe about positioning this type of technology in the AD sphere, please refer to Lesson 7 of our online course, which should be released very soon. And uh, Joe, can you talk us then through the beginning of the project in terms of the request for proposal process especially? Uh, how did you get it off the ground? Yeah, and, and it was actually a couple of uh, different efforts that kind of came together. It was an opportunistic project. I'm not sure if everything hadn't come together quite as it did, we would have able to get this first project on the ground, but certainly subsequent projects and the expansion will be much easier than the first project. But it began uh, kind of at the end of the year 2007 when our mayor adopted a green vision that was part of the city's economic development strategy. And certainly several cities, well, in North America and I assume Europe too, had kind of a green technology spin to their economic development strategies as we we were all kind of grappling with the recession and the economic downturn that was taking place. But in San Jose, ours was called the Green Vision, and it included some really aggressive goals to reduce water, increase renewable energy, increase energy efficiency, clean vehicles, trees, trails, 
those kind of stretch goals, doing a lot more infrastructure uh, to get our city more sustainable uh, by the year 2022. And uh, two of those goals that came into play for this project that were adopted by our council at the end of 2007 were um, increasing the renewable energy in San Jose and getting to zero waste were two of the goals in that 10-goal green vision. So we immediately had interest from one of our local haulers. The Bay Area is a little unique than other cities because we tend to have a lot of very independent, very creative local recyclers and haulers, not as many large corporate multinational haulers as are in other cities in the United States. And one of them said they were very interested in doing kind of a renewable energy park and where they wanted to do it was on city land. And we have about 2,000 acres in the southern tip of San Francisco Bay that's been our buffer lands because we operate a wastewater treatment facility, a large regional one that serves not just San Jose, but other cities in Silicon Valley. And uh, we were looking at ways concurrent with this project that we can dry our biosolids that would help mitigate odor, get the process done faster, and may liberate some of that land we had become kind of holding as buffer land. So this proposal that came unsolicited after the uh, mayor's green vision was adopted was to use part of that buffer land for this project and potentially some other renewable energy projects. One challenge we had with this buffer land is that it was on an old closed landfill that we knew very little about. You know, I, I mean, I joked that the city probably bought it in a bar in the 1900s and we didn't, there wasn't a lot of history on it. No one knew exactly what was in the landfill. The, the benefit though was the landfill was old. So that been a lot of settling already done and, and it hadn't been used for several decades. And the other odd thing about this land is although it was in the middle of Silicon Valley, basically it had no utility infrastructure to it. So there, although it was across the street from our wastewater plant, it had no sewer infrastructure to it, no power, no water, and no runoff system set up on it. Okay, so basically you had to start from scratch here. Yes. It was almost a green field in the middle of Silicon Valley, and it was a very difficult site to develop just from the issue of the environmental sensitivity, plus it was on a closed landfill. But in order to make sure anyone who was interested in looking at that site for projects for the Green Vision, we actually ended up doing a request for information to kind of open up the opportunity, but we didn't get any other project interest except this project from one of our current privately owned recycling haulers. So that was going on and we ended up going through a, um, we took their official request for interest and ended up starting a due diligence process to see if we could uh, begin this project. And then concurrent to that, we had for several years been planning to do a complete evolutionary change to our commercial solid waste system. As I'd mentioned before, it was um, anyone could pick their own hauler. But the problem with that is haulers, uh, because they could lose a customer in 30 days, the customer could pick their own hauler, but the city by city ordinance allowed them to get out of any existing hauler contract with 30 days notice. And the challenge with that, of course, is haulers can't finance infrastructure development to recycle without a guaranteed customer base and revenue stream, because as you know, those facilities are very expensive and 
So uh, unlike our residential system where we had three big recycling facilities in San Jose set up to serve our residential customers, our commercial customers, really there was no infrastructure investment in the last 20 years to serve them. So we decided to start the process of looking at re, uh, making the system exclusive. So we, uh, it was a very, very long process. In the state of California, if you make a system exclusive, a hauling contract exclusive, you have to give all the current haulers a seven-year notice. Uh, so we, we did that. We did extensive stakeholder outreach, both with the hauling community, the customers, and we had customers, you know, everything from mom-and-pop restaurants and small service shops to uh, Adobe and eBay and Cisco. So just a huge range of customers here in San Jose, business customers. Right. And when you were interviewing all of the commercial businesses, what kind of questions were you asking? What serv- How was their existing service if we were to make the system exclusive? What things did they want to see? What things did they not want to see? And then we also provided some information on how the current system is really inefficient. Not only was it not recycling that much, all the haulers that collected commercial businesses would basically go to every street every day because there was no routing efficiency. So it was just creating a lot of issues. And in some respects, especially for small and medium-sized businesses, they really weren't getting rates that were that inexpensive because there was no efficiencies captured in the system and the small businesses didn't really have any as much leverage when it came to bargaining for their rates as larger businesses. So it was really small and medium-sized businesses that probably would receive the largest benefit. And then the larger businesses, because especially our high-tech firms, they have such a strong sustainability component, and that's important to their customers. So we we got enough support to move forward, and and that was a big step for us because other cities have tried to go from a non-exclusive system to an exclusive system for the very same reasons and had more of a challenge, I think, than the Pacific Northwest, including Portland, as of yet, hasn't been able to convince their business communities to be willing to give up that kind of decision-making power to go to an exclusive system. Right, that's a shame. But uh, perhaps what happened in San Jose then is a bit of an inspiration or example for other places. Yeah, and it has been. We actually have Los Angeles used ours as an example and just, I think, four months ago was able to get their council to approve a district system. Ours, New York City is also looking at our system. Uh, San Diego is also looking at our system. So we've we've definitely um, been able to show we can get the high diversion. And I think we're one of the, if not the highest diverting commercial system in the country right now because all the waste no longer goes to landfill. It's either is direct hauled to the zero waste facility if it's clean enough or it goes first to a recycling facility near the zero waste facility for pre-processing and then the organic stream goes to zero waste. So concurrently to that, we set up this developed this whole request for proposals process for our commercial system. Zero Waste was already doing their due diligence on the site to build the facility, which they could use for residential or commercial organics. But they did end up bidding on the project to take commercial waste. So the opportunity of being uh, able to submit a bid for our commercial organics as they were looking at doing their due diligence on the site and the economics obviously was a huge lift for the project because it meant they had the possibility of having a guaranteed feedstock if they were to build the facility. So even though they were happening on parallel tracks, that helped. 
Um, so we ended up awarding the collection and non-organic processing contract to Republic Services, which used to be Allied and BFI, and then the organic portion went to Zero Waste. Uh, so that gave them the feedstock to build the facility. Right. And when you talk about zero waste, just to clarify for our audience, uh, you're talking about the Zero Waste Energy Development Company. We interrupt the interview briefly to make a few announcements regarding a couple of upcoming events that are on our radar. The first is Ecomondo, the 18th International Trade Fair of Material and Energy Recovery and Sustainable Development that will take place in Rimini, Italy between the 5th and 8th of November. There are a great many interesting topics and sessions on this year, including the 8th annual meeting to review processes of municipal waste collection and recycling in large urban areas across Europe, which should be quite interesting. For more information and to register, go to www.ecomondo.com. And the second event on our radar this week is the 5th International Symposium on Energy from Biomass and Waste in Venice this year, starting on the 17th of November. The event dedicates a significant portion to anaerobic digestion especially. Some interesting features for the organics crowd are the sessions on organics collection, as well as the many sessions on biogas production, pretreatment for AD optimization, and anaerobic treatment of organics. So for more information on this event, go to www.venicesymposium.it. And now let's get back to the interview. So um, then when it comes to developing a new facility, biogas projects um, have a good few hurdles to overcome, like location, feedstocks, which in this case was secured, like you said, um, bank financing as well, though, and so on. So this can add substantially to the development time. How did the partnership with San Jose City then shape the process? And in what ways did it speed things along? So what we did uh, to bring that closed landfill site up to being able to be built upon was an extremely expensive proposition for zero waste. And so what the city did to help share the risk a little bit and also benefited from this is we gave them credit. So we gave them, and I think it's a 30-year lease with a 10-year extension option, um, but we they don't have to pay rent. They get credit each year against the cost they had to spend just to bring the site up to a developable condition, which is about $11 million. So bringing the power and the sewer and the water, closing, officially closing the landfill with the state of California, doing the stormwater runoff system, those costs were roughly $11 million. And so they have a rent they have to pay to us, but they get credit to the $11 million and don't have to start paying us until that $11 million is paid off. Um, And we benefited from that because we upsized some of the infrastructure that Zero Waste put in so that uh, if we wanted to do additional development in the area, the city could do that. So we paid for that differential in that. So that was a benefit. Plus, if they decide to ever leave, we get a site that's much more easy to develop than it had would have been uh, prior to that. And the other thing we did, which was very unusual for the city, and I, and I worked on this lease with our economic development department, is the lease to the city is instead of them just paying us a flat rate, once that $11 million is paid off, Zero Waste is going to pay us $4 
costs and change for every ton of organics that goes into the facility. And that's kind of unique for us. It helps our organization, the city organization, have some skin in the game and their success. So getting that expansion, the additional um, two 90,000-ton phases completed means the city has uh, an opportunity to make more money once that's done. So it's kind of helps get my own organization kind of managing up, if you will, have some skin in that game to want zero ways to be successful and expand. And um, that's a very good approach. Yeah. And now there there are to fund the expansion. California uh, is using some cap and trade funds to help AD facilities. And we are looking at that expansion as maybe one of the first projects to use California's new funding source for these types of projects. And the benefit, obviously, of the Zero Waste Project is it's shovel-ready, so it makes it hopefully very competitive for this round of state financing because it's it, we have the permits and we have the plans, and it is very, very difficult to be in that position unless you started four years ago. <laughs> So we're hoping phase two and phase three are just much simpler projects. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. Um, very good. And it's very interesting now that the city has an extra incentive for supporting the facility. That's really good. And um, yeah, when it comes to financing for the facility itself, then it is quite a unique project. So was it easier to get the capital financing at the start due to the secured feedstocks and the partnership with the city or... That helped. It is not like, like some of the funding sources, the California Pollution Control Financing Authority, they're not, I don't think they're quite as designed for kind of emerging technology. And because this first phase was so new, I think the partners of the zero waste energy development company really had to kind of bring their unique financing relationships that they already had to the table. They also were able to get some federal money, I think it's the Department of Treasury, the 1605 fund tax credit, our grants and move tax credit money. Uh, but they weren't able, I don't think they could count on typical financing that's available for kind of tried and true technology. And because of their position, they have done a lot of innovative recycling facilities. Another one actually in, in San Jose that processes all our waste from our apartment multifamily housing. Uh, they were able to leverage some relationships they already had, but I'm not sure it would be as easy for a company that didn't have their relationships to start this one. That being said, we built the first one in California. So the second one, now that banks and regulators can touch and feel and hug, this one is going to be infinitely easier than this first one. So I think the next one, in wherever it is, um, is just going to be easier and maybe would have a much easier time having access to typical financing vehicles that these companies use. Right. So, yeah, that's a strong argument there for public-private partnerships in this case anyway. And I'd love to know more then about the permitting process itself and the city's role. I know that it was built on a landfill site that the city owned. So um, what was the permitting process like and was there any struggles you faced or...? Yeah, so there were two permits, and the permitting process was the onus was on the developer, zero waste, to get the permits, but there were some issues this city had to work through, and the thing that made this project tricky 
A, it was on a closed landfill in an environmentally sensitive area. So that in and of itself took a long time to resolve and we had to come up with the monitoring plan. So, you know, we have testing uh, wells to make sure there's no contamination in the groundwater. And the whole site is at sea level next to the sea. So infiltration underground is an, an issue. So Zero Waste now does that on behalf of us. Uh, and, and that required a solid waste facilities permit from the state. Because the state had no, none of us uh, had seen or touched a dry AD facility like this, it was complicated. I think the state ended up subcontracting with the firm on the East Coast to evaluate the, the permit. Some of the designs that we got, because it was a German technology, came to us in German. And I think with translating issues. Even the facility now, if you go, some of the software that monitors the environment from the microbe still reports in German, and I know they have to use Google Translate to translate it. But yeah, everything is to keep those microbes happy. Um, but uh, so that was challenging. And so working, there was a lot of questions. A lot of it had to be answered by the um, German technology firm and then translated back to English. And, and so that was challenging. And I think that process ended up taking two years to get the permits done. And then the building permit itself, which the city issues, so the state issues the solid waste permit and the building permit is issued by the city. But I know we had extensive back and forth, which required hands-on meetings. With, with a lot of city officials and zero waste and the contractor to figure out whether those composting um, cells where the anaerobic digestion was actually taking place for 21 days had to be fit for human habitation or not. And that had a great, had a significant difference on how they were constructed. So that took months and months to work through. So again, the second facility will just be so much easier than this one, but it, it was a lot of work and a lot of educating everybody on what this was and what it wasn't. And it was a big effort. Right. Yeah. So it was definitely a long process. Thankfully, the next facility then won't have to go through that as, as well, hopefully. And now, would you have any words of advice on the whole topic for those out there who are now thinking of starting this next one, maybe? I mean, I think definitely being able to do a demonstration phase, if your permitting agency is just not familiar with it, getting a demonstration project is probably simpler than starting off with a commercial scale facility like we did. Um, but it just requires a lot of determination and getting your organization, especially a government organization, comfortable with taking thoughtful risk, I think is just a shift that you have to make. You know, we've, we're working on another demonstration project with a different German technology on biosolids. And um, the first technology provider went bankrupt. So we had to find another one who also ended up being a German company. But getting your organization comfortable and just that that's normal, that these companies, if you're looking at doing cutting edge things, they will go bankrupt. They will take a year or two to permit even a demonstration project and just getting that part of the culture, because otherwise, I mean, that's just how, how it is when you try to do new things in this space. Mm -hmm, that's for sure. And um, I suppose in terms of policy, um, is there anything you'd want to see changed or brought in to help make the development and running of similar municipal solid waste AD and composting facilities easier? 
certainly at the regulatory level, getting a unified approach to how to permit these facilities so each jurisdiction isn't stuck starting from scratch with each similar facility. So like we um, had been working with the state of California on a standard EIR process for different organic technology types like anaerobic digestion is very helpful because it's just too difficult for cities or jurisdictions that want to build these things to start from scratch. So getting really clear permitting direction from the regulatory agency, including, you know, in California, sometimes the water and the solid waste, they aren't in the same organization on the state level, but the facility needs permits from both those arms and getting them to work together um, and come up with a more uniform approach because that helps mitigate. If it's known what the path is to get the permits, obviously it's just easier and more likely that both the private sector partner and the government agency will take the risk. But it's the unknown where you don't know if you're just going to be kind of spinning for years and years and years trying to figure out what the permitting path is. You know, it just doesn't make the risk worth it. So being able to kind of have a uniform approach for the different types of facilities throughout the state, I think really would help mitigate the risk. California is trying to do that, I think, with anaerobic digestion facilities, and we've been part of that process on the state level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can be very tricky dealing with all the regulatory bodies and the permitting process of different agencies. We get stuck into this topic actually in lesson five of our online course and talk about the best strategies you can use to get your project off the ground. So for those who might be interested, um, head on over to our course section on the site and take a look. And um, Joe, we're running out of time now. So for the last section, I'd like to get your words of advice for other cities out there who are looking into doing something similar, maybe some tips on strategies. Yeah, I think it's very important for the public-private partnerships and to get private sector partners to approach you to have some well-publicized successes that your city um, is willing to stick it out and be successful. So even if it's a demonstration project, just taking that first step on a smaller project and then publicizing the success of it because it's just such a big investment for a private sector partner and they want to make sure that you have a track record. So doing some smaller projects and then getting the word out that that you mean business, you're uh, in it for the long haul and you've successfully implemented both private sector and and granting agencies because a lot of times these projects, including the gasification project that I'm talking about, we actually get funding of that through state or federal grants. So it just really helps doing some smaller projects, being successful both marking yourself to a granting agency and a private sector partner. That's really good advice, yeah. Just, we've really found it helpful to get having all hand meetings and getting everyone in a room when we discuss the permitting issues. And especially with the new project, people, a regulatory agency or a staff person in some permitting agency hears one thing and then maybe come out with a ruling that was based on a conclusion they decided that wasn't accurate, like this issue that we had with we had to make these cells where the organic material spent 21 days with the microbes fit for human habitation, even though the only time people were in them was to put the material in them and then they sealed them up. And it really helped talking through it the face-to-face talking through about what it was because the conclusions were instantly drawn or or immediately drawn about what it was, which led to an extremely difficult permitting 
hurdle to um, overcome and, and just sitting down and walking them through it really helped. And it was just a lot of that type of meetings we had to do to walk people through things to get them over the conclusions they initially drew, which weren't accurate. Right. So communication and meeting face to face is very important. Uh, great final words. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today, Joe. But it's been a very insightful discussion. Um, so thanks a million for coming on the show. Sure. Thank you. All right. Best of luck now with the new facility and all the rest. OK, bye bye. That was Joe Zientek for the Organic Stream podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know what you think by rating and reviewing our show on iTunes or leaving us a comment on our SoundCloud page. You can also contact us on our website, compostory.org, or on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is compostoryorg. That's all we have time for this week. Tune in next time for more great stories. <laughs>